plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that defining moment when a story, any story, takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, superhero buff and comedy lover. And I'm Fran, reality TV obsessive and true crime enthusiast. And we're from Now TV. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected and hopefully some behind-the-scenes nuggets that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. So welcome back to the second episode of the Plot Twist podcast brought to you by Now TV. We made it, and so did you. Yeah, I didn't think we'd get this far. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> so, Fran, picture this. So you were a waiter in California, aspiring to be a director and writer... And then suddenly you do a film, an independent film, which gets picked up by Will Ferrell's production company, Ooh. Meaty. And then, two years later, you're starring with Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller in, like, these big blockbuster movies. The turn up for the books. Plot twist. That's the story of our guest this week, Danny McBride. But it's not just Danny. We've got Edie Patterson, his co-star from, like, Vice Principals, and now their new series, The Righteous Gemstones. And this is a new series, right? The, the Righteous, Righteous Gemstones. Gemstones. So let's get our head around that. What is the premise of it? So the premise is they are part of this like mega church televangelist family, but there's a bit of corruption going on. I mean, that's pretty big in America, right? Like it's, it's, huge. it's always it has been for quite some time, but even now in current day, like it's still pretty big. Yeah, that, and these guys are like fifty million pound jets, and Oof, yeah, I'm in the wrong career. Tell me about it. But I mean, this isn't set in the past, right? This is current day. Today. That's really controversial to go out with something like that that's pretty close to home, particularly in sort of the religious arena. Um, what, what's it like as a series? How does it feel? Is it sort of slapstick funny? Is it sort of like slight dark humour? To be fair, it's got a bit of everything, actually. It's a, it, it straight out is a comedy and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of dick jokes in there, I'm not going to lie. But actually, as, as the series goes on, like, you start to get some really serious like, storylines. Even like the characters, where they're actually on the surface, typical of Danny McBride, where they're you know, a, bit, a bit of an arsehole with like, a massive ego... They actually, there's something more sentimental and vulnerable about them, which is really quite endearing. They bring you in, even though you want to, oh, they you hook want you in. to not like them. But there you are, hook, line really and sinker. Yeah. And it's got some other big names in it, right? So we've obviously, oh. we've got Danny McBride, Needy Patterson, but there's Adam Devine. John Goodman. Oof, like, these are some names. big, yeah, they like reeled them in for sure. Great. Well, I'm excited to hear how the interview went because obviously this week you did go it alone. Well, I just think it's ironic, isn't it, that this sort of dating show set in South Africa comes on and suddenly Fran's not available. I had a busy schedule, things to do, people to see. You know how it goes. Sure. Besides, you know, I, it was time to test the water. Uh, you as a, a going solo as a presenter, I think. I was riding solo. <laughs> I, <laughs> not just a relay reference. Um, so I'm really excited to hear how you got on. Oh, you should so be. So I think we should tuck in. So here's the first part of our interview with Danny McBride and Edie Patterson on the Plot Twist podcast. Here we go. Here we are. Well, this is a bit where we just chat, right? This is it. Precious on. Yeah. Well, Danny, Edie, welcome to the Plot Twist podcast. Thank you. I am so excited and stoked to see you guys and have you guys on the podcast. Um, how's the UK treating you guys? It's been wonderful so far. I always love coming over here and 
in promoting what we're working on. It's nice to share this demented stuff that we're making with, with, your, with your country. <laughs> what about the jet lag? Because the jet lag from the US to the UK, that's, that's like hardcore jet lag. That's the worst. You know, I have two young children, so I'm never <laughs> at a state of awake. So it's just fine. It feels normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have no young children, but I weirdly uh, usually get the jet lag coming back. Mm. Okay. I don't know what that's about. I've had two holidays to Florida, and on the way back, yeah, yeah. to the UK, the jet lag was pretty yeah. shocking. Yeah. Okay. yeah, great holidday, but yeah, yeah. probably a yeah, shocking jet lag. Um, well, you guys are obviously here to promote your new series of Righteous Gemstones. I love this series. I'm, I'm not just saying this is my favorite series on, on Now TV. Oh, it's so so good. Um, but before we we dive into that, keeping on sort of the UK theme, obviously you guys are best known for your work in comedy. Mm-hmm. How much of an influence has British comedy played in your career? Uh, I think it's actually played a pretty big influence. You know, growing up, a lot of the comedy you'd see on TV on like American television before like cable and, you know, things like that, it would be just these network sitcoms that were always like very shiny. Uh, all the actors were squeaky clean and, uh, and, and the punchlines and everything all had a rhythm to it. And I think when I saw stuff like what Steve Coogan was doing, especially things like Ricky Gervais in The Office, it's, you know, it was this kind of more cynical sort of comedy where the main characters weren't squeaky clean. There was a little bit of gray area about whether you're supposed to like these people or not. And there was a sadness underneath some of it, too, which I always thought was pretty interesting. That wasn't like an element you would really see in American sitcoms, unless it was like one of the special episodes, like in Different Strokes where... Arnold's friend gets like kidnapped or something, right? Molested, and then that's like where they have the special announcement, right? A very special, a very special episode, yeah. Even those though, it's like, well, it's very black and white. Okay, we're supposed to feel bad for him because he got kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, like it's <laughs> there's no gray area. You can kind of see a bit of Brent and the Office in like Foot Fist Way that mm-hmm. you did, and that was like that was a big thing for you at the time, wasn't it? Not it, initially, but it, it, came, was. it came to be. Yeah, that that I made that with Jody Hill. And, uh, yeah, that was, like, what basically sort of started all of our careers. You know, I would worked earlier on a film with David Green, All the Real Girls. But at that point, I was just kind of acting in that as just a favor for David. I just went to film school with him and didn't have any ambitions to be an actor or anything. I really just did it just as a favor because he had an actor drop out, and he knew that he could make me look dumb, and uh, and I would go <laughs> along with it. And, um and then after that, like, Jody talked to me a few years later, and we kind of worked on this script and then made that movie The Foot Fist Way, and it got into Sundance, and then ended up getting into the hands of, like, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then everything just sort of took off from that moment. That's incredible, because then you, you were, like, waiting tables at the time, weren't you? And yeah, then... it was a lot of different stuff. I mean, I wor- w- moved up to L.A. and, like, was PAing. I waited tables. I became the night manager of the Holiday Inn in Burbank. And uh, and I was doing I started working and doing camera work. I would do like motion control uh, for like documentaries and like reality TV. It was like sort of like zooming in and out of still photographs of people. And it was very exciting stuff. Exactly what I had moved to Los Angeles to do. (laughs) Is that did you guys have that job because they were they like, oh, they went to film school. They know how to do this. You know, it was a guy that I knew uh, worked for the company that was doing it. And then he said, oh. hey, we just had this guy quit. Do you know how to do this? And I just lied and said, yes, of course. <laughs> oh, but you it? didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. I had oh. to teach myself. Yeah. So growing yeah. up, you had no sort of, you didn't want to go into comedy. That wasn't on your radar. You know, I liked all, I went to film school to like direct and to write. And I don't, it wasn't, I didn't go into it for like anything genre specific. I just liked every, you know, I just liked movies and uh you know, and I think that, yeah, I don't really, it was kind of like, what, because Foot Fist Way was comedic, then all the opportunities that started to come down were, were comedies. And obviously, I love making comedy. I think it's fun. And definitely the type of comedies that we've been able to make where we're allowed to, 
have a little bit of a darker edge to the stuff and push things, uh, that stuff is, is fun. I like it. I mean, going back to that British influence, like like sort of Alan Partridge, David Brent, you can kind of see the similarities in your characters like Kenny Powers, Neil Gamby, and, and both your characters in The Righteous Gemstones as well, mm. where you kind of put them on a pedestal of mm-hmm. uh, with their ego and the, the mm-hmm. career they've had. But, I mean, I mean, let's be real here. They're assholes, right? Mm-hmm. They're deeply flawed characters. And very full, very vulnerable. Like, yeah, yeah, Very yeah, yeah. fragile. Mm-hmm. And misunderstood with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, sometimes. I mean, Did you say misunderstood? Judy, yeah, slightly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Judy, Judy Lee is, For right? sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's misunderstood. I think yeah. she's, uh, yeah, got more to offer than people realize. <laughs> <laughs> and the guys, this is the Plot Twist podcast. Plot Twists are all about the unexpected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of alluded to it, your own career, Danny, but has there been a sort of a Plot Twist moment where the narrative has changed for you guys? Man, I think the biggest plot twist would be that moment of sort of like making that like independent film that was like financed on credit cards. And, you know, at that point we made that I'd been living out in Los Angeles for a few years and was definitely a little like, oh, man, this is going to, you know, so I don't, maybe maybe you should start thinking about what else I would do in case this doesn't work out because you get there. You know, growing up in a small town, I'm sure it's the same for you in Texas. It's like I grew up in a small town in Virginia and I was into movies and I was like the only kid I knew that was into movies. You know, like it was like other people would watch them, but they didn't know who directors were. They weren't trying to like track down like independent filmmakers or watching foreign films when they're like 14 years old. And I was all about it. And so then I, when I went to film school in North Carolina, you know, I met all these guys like David Green, Jody Hill, these guys we still work with. And it was like just meeting these brothers of, you know, oh, you're into movies too. And I hadn't, I just hadn't grown up around other people who were. And so you kind of feel like you have this special interest. And then you move to Los Angeles and it's like every single person who lives there. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you really yeah. realize, oh, this isn't an anomaly. Everyone feels this way out mm-hmm. here. It's not just that stereotype. Yeah. 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 There, yeah same deal in Texas. Um, because you, you were like you were doing improv and you were sort of doing yeah. impersonations of teachers. Like I know about yeah, Mrs. Stelly. Sure. I know about Mrs. Stelly. Yeah, you know about Mrs. Stelly. Oh Stelly. yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, like there, I just took whatever outlets there were. But where I was in Texas, we didn't even know like that there were certain certain colleges you could even go to to like maybe that would help your career. We just didn't know any of that. And, and so your family I, weren't in the business either. Mm-mm. My dad's a plumber. My mom's an elementary school teacher. Oh, handy. Um, and so, yeah, I did school plays and I did, uh, you know, whatever talent show would come up and I would like <laughs> write comedy things and do them in talent shows. But I just right. did whatever was available to me. Um, how, how did that build then going into like working with Danny with like, vice principals? What's the, what's the journey? I, I auditioned for vice principals. and uh, So you guys hadn't actually met before that? We, we hadn't met. And as soon as I started working with Edie, I just instantly, uh, she was just making me laugh, which is hard to do. I'm always like, so my head's on a million things that very rarely do I get on set. And then some, I'm able to be present enough to make for someone to make me crack. And Edie would consistently do it. And uh, yeah, her sensibilities, it was just so similar to the stuff that we really dug. And so it was kind of an instant creative connection of like, what else mm-hmm. could we do together? Yeah, that was a big plot twist for me was um, meeting Danny and doing vice principles of like, Oh, man, like just one of those moments where you go like, oh, man, this is exactly I'm so happy. And this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and what I want to be doing, where all you feel you feel right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I get that. It's a great series, Vice Principals, as well. I miss Albert. And what was this? uh, The line you do like, oh, you sneezed inside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when I try to trick him into making him think I'm pregnant. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I think that might be a David Green special right there. 
Let's, uh, let's talk about Gemstones then. Um, I, I mean, amazing series. It's obviously about a televangelist family, the filthy rich. Uh, I guess like other sort of characters you, you both played, they're a bit sort of dysfunctional and there's a bit of sibling rivalry. Mm -hmm. tell, us, tell us more about the setup. Well, you know, like with the other shows that, I, that, that I've created from Eastbound and Vice Principals, like those are both shows where like the main character like doesn't have what they've always wanted. And it's like they have a chip on their shoulder because of it. They feel like they've been like owed more than what they have. And so with this, we wanted to kind of start, we're like, well, what if the main characters had everything that they wanted? Like, what would, what would happen then? And so, uh, yeah, that was sort of the genesis of the idea of like this really successful, they should have their lives in order and the idea that they've achieved it. And then it comes with this whole other set of problems for them and dysfunction. And uh, I don't know, I think it was a way of kind of exploring that, you know, we set these goals for ourselves of what we think we need and what we think we want and how it will fix things. And it's sort of like, if you look at all three of these shows, it's like, you could have had it and lost it, you could never have had it, and you could have it right now. And we can still find ways to fuck it all up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I thought it, because it was a comedy, like the lifestyle of the jets, the mansions, well, I mean, the, the, the machines counting the money, everything was mm -hmm. kind of grossly exaggerated because mm -mm. it's a comedy drama. No, oh, it's not. It's full so on. So I looked real. at Televangelist <laughs> afterwards. Mm -hmm. I've actually got an article. I thought I'd read you the headline and then get your response. Okay. Great. So, <laughs> you guys ready? Let's, yeah, let's, ready. Let's, let's get embarrassed for these people. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, Televangelist, they were bigger in the 80s and 90s, yeah, right? Yeah. And a lot of controversy. Mm -hmm. then, But there's still some there's filthy still rich guys. Huge, there's still hugely popular ones now. It's bigger than ever, I think. Now, yeah. I think back then it was like they were famous because there was so much controversy yeah. around them. They had some big some big guys who like fell. And so it was like all over the news. But I, But it's like when you look around, it's like people have taken that model and they've like run with it. You know, yeah. Well, here's the article, really. So this was just over 18 months ago. U.S. preacher asked followers to help buy fourth private jet. Okay. Mm -hmm. A U.S. televangelist has asked his followers to help fund his fourth private jet because, <laughs> because Jesus wouldn't be riding a donkey. Mm -hmm. um, I won't he, say his he name. Wouldn't, he wouldn't be. He, he wouldn't be. be. He would no, be well, floating. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Or walking on water, right? Mm -hmm. um, I won't say his name because he's probably very embarrassed, although I highly doubt it. He said that God had told him to buy a Falcon 7X, top of the range, mm -hmm. uh, for $54 million. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the, those are the exact sort of headlines and the type of stuff we'd see that that's what just got me curious about making a show about this, which was, it just instantly makes me wonder the same thing you're probably thinking. of like, you know, does, does this guy realize how insane that sounds? Or if he doesn't, like, why does he think this way? Like, why doesn't he get the optics of this? And, uh, and that's sort of like what the thought process was behind centering a show around a family that deals in this business of like, are they hypocrites? Do they believe in what they're selling, or do they not? And uh, and just sort of exploring that. It's yeah, just it's just crazy. Especially in, in the UK, we we don't have anything close to televangelists. Maybe songs of praise would be the closest. Maybe people thing. will get inspired over uh, here. It mm -hmm. seems like a market. That people <laughs> yeah, get, maybe, you know? yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. Maybe you should become one. <laughs> yeah, I could do it. This could be the start of it. This could be my campaign, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, let's talk about the series with John Goodman playing mm -hmm. your dad. I mean, that's like, that's a coup to get him involved. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. We, we, we had no ambitions that we would land someone of such high caliber. You know, we weren't, yeah. we didn't know who we would get. And uh, yeah, when we sent him the script and he, uh, and he called us back and said he was interested. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I think like my parents thought it was like a real show now because there was like a real, <laughs> there was an actor they knew in it. So <laughs> it was good. So he's got like such a presence and a distinctive voice. He yeah. like he really carries the family. He sure yeah. does. Yeah. Yep. It's uh yeah it's it's still a bit surreal in an in an awesome way to realize like 
oh, we're on a show with John Goodman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's guy awesome. From, the guy from Roseanne and the Coen yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy. Totally. Yeah. What's the talent read like that? Because I imagine if, I, like, to me, if I was going into that and you got something like John Goodman and, and you guys, I'd be like, I'd be crapping myself. You know, there's a little bit of that, obviously, whenever it's like any new project, you have that first day of school jitters of like, you know, but I think when you get there and you start doing it, you really just have to push all that stuff out of your head and just kind of like, you realize it's like more about having an opportunity to like do something. And so if you allow yourself to get sort of tripped up in how much you're intimidated or respect somebody, it can just throw you off your game. And so you just have to get in there and kind of not think about that. And then you come home exhausted. Like, I can't believe I did that. I said all that stuff. In yeah. Front of <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like a, a out, outside of the moment thing you realize and you go like, whoa, that was crazy. What happened with John Goodman today? Because yeah, yeah, in the yeah, moment, yeah. the cast is so good that, you just can be, you can be the character and just be, feel the truth of the moment. Well, Adam Devine, he plays your brother for mm-hmm. both of you. I mean, he's, he's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's got a great head of hair as well. Yeah. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> for a man who's follically challenged, that's, you, you, you kind of notice these things. Yeah. yeah. But the dynamic between the three of you, like, you, you, you can see straight away, like, you know, you get on really well. Yeah, we lucked out, I feel like, with, um, Adam being our little brother, it was immediately fun Mm -hmm. with the three of us and immediately easy and uh, quick and fun to fall into the things that siblings would fall into. And yeah, we never felt like we had to pull any punches uh, comedically or physically or we really felt like, well, let's get into it. Mm Because it's more than just being, obviously, in front of the camera. You guys are writing, you're mm-hmm. producing, directing in some cases. And I think Adam's done a bit of that as well with like workaholics. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, was, that must have helped, right? Yeah, you know, it's like uh, it's awesome to create something from the beginning and be in the writer's room to know what the expectations of the show are and what your story you're trying to tell. And then to be in the moment and be able to have the front row seat to see it come together and, uh, and to be with people like Edie and Adam who can improv and riff and be able to be in the moment and see how they can add to the story and they can, you know, take what we're trying to do and push it further. It's, uh, it's almost like the writing never stops. Like it's happening before we're shooting, while we're shooting. It, it's, we're constantly improving upon the story we're trying to tell. And we've got to talk about episode five where it's a bit more of a prequel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Walton Goggins. I mean, this guy is just awesome. He's so funny. All the comments on social about this guy, that misbehaving the song, which yeah. you, you wrote the song, didn't you? Yeah, Edie, myself, yeah. and Joey Stevens, who does the score for the show. Yeah, we wrote that song together. In, in the, honestly, I think about like 20 minutes. All told, really? yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, Danny had to let the, the first two lines sort of like burned in his head, and he just said them out loud in the room one day. And that his spark then sparked something in my head where I went, Oh, it's a song like that. Yeah. And then that sort of made me f- feel the sound of it. So then we cranked out probably two more verses really fast. I sang them into Danny's phone because for whatever reason, a melody appeared. Did you sing it later on in the set? Was that you actually singing? I sang it. I sing it in episode six. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you were actually singing that? Oh, oh yeah, 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 for nice. sure. <laughs> um, the, yeah, there are no voice dubs on the no. Righteous Gemstones. Oh, everyone okay. everyone actually yeah. does what they're doing. I mean, Jennifer Nettles, who sings in episode five, wow. Yeah. Wow, so she's wow. a singer, right? Yeah. So okay. 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 She has yeah, the yeah. voice, like an angel put a voice inside a human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's um, such a catchy song. Who came up yeah. with the line uh, running through the house with a. With a... That, was, that was Joey. That's that was Joey. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, in my mouth. Yeah, 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 I sang it into Danny's phone. We sent it to Joey. Joey added like some gold lyrically to it and produced it and filled out the instruments. And yeah, the thing was existed in about a 20 minute span. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I, saw some, I saw some of the comments on social media 
and somebody goes, I've just heard my wife singing this in the toilet. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like that catchy sort of tune. <laughs> yes. And then underneath somebody put, and I think it's like one of the best lines from the series, this series makes my bird twitch. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny either. That was so good. Well, I grew up like weirdly, like I grew up in a house full of women and like my sisters would always <laughs> say that when we were kids and I always thought it was so disgusting. And then I like slipped it into the script and everybody's like, what? And now they're like kind of mad at me because they're like, we can't say it now. People know what it means. Because <laughs> it's a young Judy Lee, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh God, that was yeah. so good. From watching her brother get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the that same makes stuff her that would make my twitch. sister's birth. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. And the whole thing is um <laughs> the whole thing is filmed in Charleston, right? Mm. Yes, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Yep. Now you're like this sort of anti-pioneer. You had like Lewis and Clark, the adventurers mm -hmm. in the 19th century, and now you've got McBride and yeah. Gordon Green, <laughs> the 21st. We, we, we stopped the westward expansion, decided to just go back to where we came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you got like 10 families to go with you. We did, yeah. We were, uh, we all, I had never even been to Charleston until we shot Vice Principals down there. And right. It's had a good time there. I'm from the South. I grew up in Virginia. I was born in Georgia. And, uh, you know, I liked LA. I met, you know, my career happened there. I met my wife there. She's from there. But I always kind of felt like I wanted to get, uh, to get back to, uh, to the South. And yeah, after uh, Vice Principals, we all kind of got back to Los Angeles and everyone was starting to have kids and kind of were feeling the same thing that I was feeling. And yeah, we just one day kind of all decided like, yeah, why don't we just give this a go? If we all move there and do the same thing that we're doing here, why couldn't we just do it there? And yes, yeah, so we moved back with about 10 families and we wrote all, Halloween All family there. friends. and Yeah, all, like all the guys I make the show with. And so, yeah, we moved back there. We wrote Halloween there and then shot it there and then, you know, written gemstones and shot that there. And uh, yeah, it's been good. We have been able to like do exactly what we were doing in Los Angeles and just do it there. I think the question is, Edie, when are you moving to uh, Charleston? I mean, I basically kind of live in Charleston. <laughs> I live in both places, but we, you know, we write there and we film there. So I would say last year and this year, I'll end up being in Charleston for 10 months of the year. I see pretty yeah. much not living there. Yeah, oh, I okay. live in both places, oh, okay. kind of. Yeah. I had a cheeky Google, though. It looks, looks beautiful there. It's, all, it's awesome. It's oh, such yeah. a fun beautiful. city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was the uh, like with the mansions everything? Is that that was that all in South? That was all in South Carolina. Yeah, that was all around Charleston. Yeah, so uh, we had to like we kind of had to pick all these. I mean, the thing the problem is that we didn't think about it's like when you write a show about like these millionaires living in these massive homes, you have to ha find those homes to shoot in. But like millionaires who own those mansions, they don't really care about being paid to have people come and shoot in their house. They don't need the money. So it was like hard to find people who would be willing to let a film crew come in and take their house over. You know, there was, they were like, you were like, we can pay you. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. We, mm -hmm. we don't need it. Mm -hmm. Something that's popped into my head. I don't know why. Walton Goggins. Mm -hmm. Didn't he have a, what you call in the industry is like a, a DD? Wait, did he have a what? Uh, like a DD it's called, like a dick double. Oh, he, he 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 did have a dick double. Yes, we uh, he didn't want to show his penis, and so we uh, we got this uh, this older gentleman from Chicago flew in to do it. How'd you cast? How'd you like recruit somebody for that? You know, it's it's that is that is uh, that is not my position. <laughs> we write it in, and then someone just shows up. It's like, well, this is what you guys got. Okay, we, we got needed it. it to look like Baby Billy's body yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and he's an older dude. So Walton's body and Walton's dick, I'm sure would not have, people would have been like, wait, how old's baby Billy? Hey, wait, he's 
Eli's age? Yeah, it'd be confusing. It, it was also just like the gentleman who did it too. It was like it, he had never done anything like that before. It was he hadn't. No, what? and it was such a like not to you know put a pun on it, but it was a very ballsy move. He uh, <laughs> he, uh, but he did. He just he he had heard about it and then just thought that it would be like an interesting experience. And so he just like came down from Chicago. Oh, I love and that. Just sat in this bathtub <laughs> nude all day and uh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is wow. crazy. Yeah. Wow, what a better way to conclude the first half of an interview than dick doubles. I knew you were going to mention this, but actually, it's a fair point. I mean, I leave you unattended for one <laughs> interview, and that's where you end up. Well, how do you select a dick double? How do you find, where do you go about it? I'm not saying it's not a valid question. I'm just saying of all the things that we could have asked, we landed in not even stunt doubles, <laughs> but dick doubles. I, I don't even know how your mind went there, but I did clue myself up on dick doubles. Really? Just to make sure that I was well equipped <laughs> to have a conversation about it. Well, and there's I'm some surprising to... facts out there. Well, should we run through them? So this is one of my real favourites. So we've so, got some trivia, haven't we? We've got some trivia. So James Buckley... The Inbetweeners movie. Jay. Everyone must know the scene where he rips his trunks off. How could you forget? So apparently he was all in for doing this scene right until the last minute when he when he backed out. Didn't have the balls. Not inappropriate. But yes, he in fact did not have the balls. So he backs out. The directors are, you know, understandably a little a little peeved at the situation. Aggravated. A little bit aggravated. So apparently to enact a bit of revenge on him, Ooh. they cast a somewhat comical... Alternative. <laughs> and if you've seen the film, I think you'll understand you, what you I mean. What we mean. I mean, the irony being that by taking this sort of revenge upon James, um, the actual composite of sort of superimposing the dick double onto him was actually probably the most expensive piece of editing of the film. Oh, wow. So there we go. Don't revenge with the dick double. No, don't revenge with the dick double. <laughs> well, actually, it's not the only dick double bit of trivia we've got. So Tom Meisen of HBO's The Watchmen, great series. Great series. Um, he also had um, what he's described as a willy double. <laughs> and he said, the process. The process of choosing a willy double was by far the weirdest thing I've done. I've never had so many pictures sent to me. I wasn't in a room with a lineup. They kept emailing me with more and more, and I had to sit through and go, no, no. I ended up with a boy called Fergal. Lovely chap. Could you imagine looking that email on a packed train? I don't People just... wonder what the hell was going on. It goes back to the point, how do you get into it? I, honestly, is there a website you can sign up to? I mean, we've seen some other famous characters become successful of being not, other people's more intimate parts, yeah. I suppose. I mean, not just my, full frontal. Not just full frontal. I mean, my favourite series, Friends, good old Joey. Oh, Joey. I mean, how does his career break? Yeah. But, I mean, he becomes Al Pacino's butt double. Hoo ha. <laughs> You know, so there we go. We we can't shun the profession because actually it could be somebody's big break. It could be. I mean, yeah. I don't know where we go from there. I really don't know where we go from there. I also just really enjoyed that you opened up the interview. I mean, obviously you're going it alone. Oh, here we with, go. Here we go. I'm so stoked. I don't know why. Before it was in an American interview, accent. It was just a slight American accent. But they are both Americans, so give me a break. But also, before I was like, don't say stoked, don't say stoked. And I went, oh, I'm so stoked to see you guys. I was like, why did you say that? Yeah, it was suitably awkward to listen to, but mm. also rather enjoyable. You and were just you, getting on the same level. I love how when you first heard it back, the first thing you said to me was, why did you say stoked? In my head, you were an Amer wearing oh. an American jock jacket um, and I, doing other classical sort of Americanisms. Well, I had my Kansas City chief shirt on and uh, the American flag was draped over me. Oh, tragically, I can actually picture that. I'd but they great. seem like great fun to chat to. 
Oh, they were awesome. They were just so down to earth um, right from the start. And you can kind of see how they bounced off each other. And they're just so funny. Well, look, I think part one, you did a great job. So I'm ready to tuck into part two. Here's the second part of the interview with Danny McBride and Edie Patterson on the Plot Twist podcast. Brought to you by Now TV. I keep saying tuck in. Uh, talking of keeping on the plot twist theme, um, what's this story about you and Kanye West? So, uh, was it actually true that he wanted you to play him in a movie? Yeah, yeah. I that thought was that might true. be like a spoof, like the Crocodile Dundee thing he did. No, it was a, it was a real. It was like a totally just random like encounter that <laughs> that did happen for real. Yeah. So he calls you up. Yeah. And then you think it's a prank. I right? kind of did. I wasn't like this. This there's got to be something else about this. But then he came to Charleston, and it was honestly it was. I've been a fan of his. It was awesome just to meet him and be able to hang out with him. And uh, no, he was in. It was in earnest. You know, we were getting ready to start shooting gemstones, and I've been on that since. So, haven't had any like time to do anything with that idea. But it, was, it would definitely be awesome to, to do it. I think. Why do you think he wanted you to do it? I don't know. I think he just he liked uh, he liked our sensibilities and what we were doing. So maybe he just wanted uh, to translate his life into one of these crazy stories. I don't know. I did see a comment where somebody said, Danny McBride playing Kanye West. I'd pay, like, all sorts to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is just crazy. It'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we could... Uh, I could be, like, Caitlyn Jenner or... Yeah, you know, yeah. We could, yeah. Wow. Yeah, why yeah. not? I mean, I've got the height. I've got yeah. the height. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Kardashian, maybe, Edie? Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You could be Scott Disick. I'll be Scott Disick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> Just looking at the uh, the industry, you came at a time when a lot of comedy movies started coming out and they got more and more popular. How has sort of TV and film changed since you kind of started out? You know, Edie and I were just talking about this. Uh, I, I feel like in some regards, like comedy and movies, it does it does definitely seems like it's like it's waning. Like it doesn't seem like you you know there's many of them as there used to be. I do feel like comedy has moved a little bit more into television. I think they're taking bigger risks in TV, and you can make comedy that doesn't have to like hit all four quadrants. It doesn't have to appeal to everyone. It can be very specific. And uh, and I think that's always helpful with comedies. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a comedy that makes everybody laugh universally. Those, those movies are great. But I don't know. I like stuff that's just like fine-tuned and like to my weird sensibilities. And I think with as many streaming services and cable channels, it allows people to be able to take these chances and make very specific things. And uh and I, I think it's good. It's a good thing for comedy. Like TV series now, that's like a big gig for an actor, isn't it? Like with John yeah. Goodman doing like Roseanne years ago, that wouldn't have been as big as it is now. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, John Goodman is like one of those interesting guys where he was like able to maintain a film career and do television when like TV wasn't looked at as cool. I mean, even when we set up uh, Eastbound and Down, you know, we met with Will and Adam about after Eastbound, I mean, after uh, The Foot Fist Way, and they were like, what do you guys want to do next? We're like, we want to go pitch a show to HBO about this ball player. And they're like, a TV show? What are you guys doing? Like, this people make TV shows to make movies. And we were like, I know, but we think our stuff will work better in this. And it was, you know. And then when we got the order uh, for the show, like HBO wanted to do 13 episodes. Like, no, no, we want to do that British style. We want six. We want to leave them wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was just looking at us like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and, uh, but I think ultimately we were right on all accounts. It was like, I don't think that show would have worked as a movie and, uh, and I think keeping the run of that show limited keeps it special. It'd be easy for it to turn into like a caricature of itself. And I think that's what happens when you have those long order comedies is that it's hard for, for characters to stay grounded and real, uh, you know, when you need to like put them in so many insane situations mm -hmm. week after week. Whenever people mention Eastbound and Down, the outtakes. 
Mm-hmm. From season one, have you seen them with? Uh, I don't know if I've Farrell seen the outtakes and, from season oh one. Oh my gosh! <laughs> which, which like, if ever you particular? need to pick me up, watch the outtakes from season yeah, one. Yeah, great. Of it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he's trying to, when he's saying about my plums. Oh man, that plums. was like one of the best days I've ever had on a set of anything. <laughs> you held it together pretty good though. You know when yeah. you're like you're two opposite each other, and then yeah. Will Ferrell's in between you and like saying all this ridiculous. Well, because like stuff. I'm creating the show, so I'm just like, this is amazing. Don't ruin it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't blow it. <laughs> That's some of the best stuff. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Edie, I wanted to ask you about um, your impersonations when you were younger. Sure. Didn't you have uh, your granddad's caretaker sound a bit like Elvis? Yeah. Um, th- I won't say any names, but yeah, we had. So it was this weird circumstance where my um, my dad's dad uh, was sick, and we would go over. You know, my mom and dad both worked, and we were in school, but we would trade nights with. Uh, my dad and, and his brothers would trade nights. So every every other night or every third night, we would go from the time we were out of school until like 10 and just sort of be there all day into the evening. And then these caretakers would stay overnight and then during the day until we got there again. Right. So <laughs> we just, my family was just like, we were just affording what we could get. We were affording the best we could get, um, which at that time was not great. And um, every single one of them was terrifying, but hilarious. That I mean, they, they were such characters, I can't even, it's hard to even tell you without it sounding fake, but they were so intensely weird. One was like always silent and had a, like a braid this thick down her back and would just like walk around with like a t-shirt tucked into like jean shorts with a belt and like always seemed mad at us and wouldn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd walk I'd skulk around the house staring at her and like trying to act like her for my sister. <laughs> and then this one that talked like Elvis always had like terry cloth clothes. She had like two shirts that I remember right. of terry cloth and they um they like would just sort of like cling to her like boulder sized <laughs> boobs and they weirdly she was so masculine but she had like a there was like a cutout in the terry cloth shirt and a bow <laughs> up top and it was so confusing <laughs> but she yeah every sentence started with no honey <laughs> Now, honey, come on over here. <laughs> and she'd go like, like if it started raining outside, she'd go like, now, honey, time for my shower. <laughs> and she would literally go outside in her clothes. And uh, just like picture us little kids, like our jaws on the floor, like, what is she doing? Her All her clothes, she'd go, she'd get the runoff from the roof of like, a, you know, a Texas rainstorm. Yeah, yeah. Take her shampoo out there in her clothes and just like violently like shake her head and wash her hair. Oh my God. And like come in with suds on her terry cloth shirt. Go dry her body. No bar- <laughs> no part of her body got washed except for her hair. Oh God. She'd dry her body and then like sit with us in the living room like talking to us and asking us how school was. <laughs> and then she'd call her little dog that was like rat sized named Bridget. She'd go, come on, Bridget. And she'd put ice cream in her mouth. And then Bridget would come eat the ice cream from inside her mouth. no, no. And we would just, like, sit, like, grabbing each other and just, like, staring. (laughs) But you got to watch. you got to watch. Yeah, we got to. I had to be near it. (laughs) Right. But I couldn't, like, go, oh, gross. (laughs) So we had to wait till we were outside and be like, damn, she did it again. (laughs) Bridget came over again. 
But yeah, they were all like so intensely odd and wonderful, like material for years. But it, that's what it shows with comedy that these characters they do actually exist. There's, they like, absolutely exist. Guys like yourselves that see that and then actually yeah. apply it to the screen. The, those yeah. those women like amalgamations of those women informed so many of my Groundlings <laughs> characters through the years at the Groundlings. Like probably every single one I did there has a little bit of one of those women yeah. in them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. One last bit, because I'm conscious of time. Um, Adam Devine, your your, your yeah. co-star, his story is incredible. Like, in terms of his own plot twist, at the beginning mm. of... Of his he, injury as a kid. Of his injury as a kid, yeah. 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 Like, was he 11 years old? He gets yeah. he gets hit by a... Like, like a cement truck. A cement yeah. truck. And yeah. then, was it, like 26 operations? He's mm -hmm. in an induced coma. Yeah. And then he uses comedy, because he's getting bullied at school afterwards, yep. to then actually, like, fight back against the bullies. And that kind of then kick-started his career into comedy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I just thought that was awesome. He's such a good dude. He really is, and he's funny as hell. And he just, you know, he's he's a joy to work with. I really, mm -hmm. I've, that's been a, an awesome part about doing the show is just getting to know him and getting mm -hmm. to, you know, to hang out with him. He's been great. I felt like I, I felt like I dug his comedy. I didn't know Adam before we did this show, but I liked his work. And because uh, he's been in some big stuff like Pitch Perfect and yeah, Workaholics. And even like yeah. he was hilarious on Modern Family. He had a run on yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I love Modern Family. But he um, he told me that story that he I knew the some of the aspects of it and he told that story and then when he added that detail that he that's how he started writing comedy is he would s sit in his room at night and write possible put downs to say to people who bullied him <laughs> and so he would have like a notebook full of like comebacks and I was like. Oh. God, dude, I, I'll love you forever now. Like, I, I see you. Yeah. I know what you are. Yeah. yeah. But it must make him a bit fearless as well, right? I think Let's so. Let's go through something I mean, like that's that and the, then... Yeah, that's the cool thing about uh, Danny and him is I feel like the three of us together will kind of do anything if it's funny. Yeah. We'll, yeah. If it works and it's funny, yeah. We're, we're looking to the future, but obviously both of your writers. If you could sort of describe what your future plot twist would be, can you imagine what that might look like? Hmm. What do you think yours would be? Judy's or mine? Yours. Yours. Oh, boy. Become a world-renowned magician. Yep. Become mm -hmm. a world-renowned magician. <laughs> Use rabbits, but not live ones. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? I think yours is world-renowned baker. Yeah, that's. I think Great. I am going to try to become a world-renowned baker. That will be my plan. Open up a chain? Yeah, after doing the Sunday brunch show, I think we have a, <laughs> we have a natural ability for <laughs> making. Yeah, yeah, we have a natural ability for something. Maybe yeah. it's making hosts turn red. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, Danny, thank you for being on the Plotsis podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cool, thank you. Good luck with this. Awesome. Yeah, thank awesome you. Awesome to be a part of it. Thank you. Nailed it. Yeah, awesome, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>so that's Danny McBride and Edie Patterson from the Righteous Gemstones. I mean, he said it, Tom, but you really did nail it. Oh, I love that at the end. It that was must so have nice. Been. Oh, it was such a relief. Like the build up to it before and then actually doing it and him saying that. It was, yeah, it was lovely. I, for one, was quite surprised. Not oh, that I underestimated you. Not that I underestimated you. Just without me, you know, it was going to be interesting to see how you did. Oh, it was so much fun. I loved it. Um, there were so many great. So many great things in that. I think my particular favourite... You talked about a lot, actually. You covered a lot of ground. Um, I think sort of my favourite, which I really just didn't know, was around Adam Devine. Oh, and it's incredible. Comedy comeback thing. Yeah. So he got sort of used adversity to his kind of 
benefit and came up with this way of interacting with people trying to bring him down. Like, I just think that is absolutely incredible. I mean, I think I'm going to take um, inspiration from Adam and actually start writing my own comedy comebacks to you because, you know, the amount of put-downs we've had over the last few weeks doing this podcast. (laughs) I think it would be a poor read. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> See, that's the problem. That's why I need a comedy comeback. I haven't got anything to go back to you on. And there's silence. Yeah, um, in my life. But it was full of full of twists and turns, that. I mean, we can't really move on until Kanye? we've discussed Kanye West. Wow. I, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was a made-up sort of thing. When we were talking about it before the interview and you were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention the Kanye thing, I really thought, like, this is going to flop. It's a joke. No. Because he did a joke a few years ago where he teased that he was going to come back as Crocodile Dundee with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> True story. Really? Yeah. And th- th- so I just thought with the Kanye thing that they did meet up, that um, Kanye got in contact, went over to Charleston and spent the day with him and watched um, his kid playing Fortnite. Um, what a game. W- great game. Um, <laughs> with Danny in like the front room, like this really surreal setup. But the thing about him actually getting Danny to play him <laughs> in a film... What? I know. I, Where did that come from? Just put the two pictures next to each other. It's like, that doesn't make sense at all. I mean, really yeah. unexpected, but I feel I'd watch that. I would watch it. I would watch that. Yeah. Um, but you did an exceptional job. Oh, thanks, man. Nailed it. So that's it. Another podcast in the bag. Episode two. Done. And who have we got next week? Next week. Oh, you're, you are going to you are going to be disappointed, Fran. Whilst you're on holiday, swanning about, we've got David Schwimmer and Nick Mohammed. No! I can't believe I'm missing that. You are missing out. I'm going to have to console myself over a pina colada or six. So they're here to promote their new series, Intelligence, which is, I mean, we've both had a little bit of a sneak peek, haven't we? I know, a little behind-the-scenes look. We've, yeah, well, a bit of access from Now TV, but it's so funny and it's so different as well to what you'd expect from David Schwimmer. It's absolutely brilliant. It's so good to see him back in a comedy role that is so different to Ross. I didn't even watch it and think, oh, look, it's Ross in the cyber security function big like you know it was completely completely different brilliantly witty hilarious really plays into that kind of like general office humor that we definitely we all, we all know about we definitely sure. understand yeah. um so yeah really exciting to see how your chat went i can't wait and you've got nick mohammed as well nick mohammed who created the series so he's he's the guy that got david schwimmer on board impressive and just, yeah and he's just like the comedy mastermind behind it all oh it's a great series so yeah. i'm looking forward to that already next week uh but in the meantime from me fran and yep yeah. it's tom <laughs> we'll see you then see you then